What is going on, guys? It's time for another edition of Out of Bounds right here on Know Your News. I, of course, am John Alba. That's Mia O'Brien. Happy Halloween, everyone. Mia, how are we today? Spooktacular. How are you, John? Well, you know, for years, Mia, they've been telling me that I'm a Muppet of a man or that I'm a manly Muppet. And today I decided that I am indeed a Muppet of a man. Well, considering that you hosted a podcast called Living the Gimmick. Um, this is true. You are truly living the gimmick right very now. Much so. so I'm here for it. I'm you're absolutely here for wrong. it. I also know that you're crouched in a very uncomfortable position. And so I hope our viewers and listeners uh, on YouTube and our super commenters, I hope they're all enjoying and appreciating this. If nothing else, leave a comment because John is in pain right now and he could use your uh, support. So we could use your support. Leave a super chat right there on YouTube. Should you like to, of course, and support Know Your News or you can even head to kynchat.com kynchat.com you've been able to move the yeah i'm moving the hand i'm very impressed very impressed very impressive but a happy halloween mia real quick before we get into the meat and bones of out of bounds here halloween debate what is your go-to candy Thankfully, we actually had to make our top five on my uh, my day job today um, on XL Primetime, uh, 1010XL, 92.5 FM from 12 to 3, Monday to Friday. Um, we did have to make our Power 5 rankings, and um, mine is actually Sour Patch Watermelons. Yeah, very under the radar, kind of very specific. Um, a huge Sour Patch fan. Um, as, given that my mother is a dentist, I uh, really wasn't allowed to have a lot of those gummies growing up yeah not great not great uh would go through my halloween candy less than ideal um but uh those watermelons man i don't know why but even when i would uh make long drives during my time working in local news uh whether i was headed up to blackshear georgia or des moines iowa um that was my go-to when i would stop at a gas station to get a candy and two weeks ago hanging out with some of my friends here and they have a three-year-old and she was so excited to show me her favorite candy she got at the zoo halloween spectacular mm. And it was the Sour Patch Watermelons. Fascinating. I said, I said I, Chloe, I, we're the same I person. I still think because I just love caramel so much, I got to go with Milky Way. Okay. Really All right. So that's I, know that's, I know that's not a popular opinion, but sometimes so, I can really get down with a Kit Kat, too. I actually had Three Musketeers second. For whatever the reason, Ooh, the, the fluffiness. That is a controversial take. The, the fluffiness of the Three Musketeers for me always does it over the Snickers or the Milky Way. I'm not really sure why. Very um, controversial yeah, take. That was my number two. Uh, I actually had Nerds 3, straight Hershey Bar 4, and then Reese's Peanut Butter Cup 5. Okay, well, you can let us know, Super Chats or KYNChat.com. Let us know. Now, Mia, I hate to break it to you. You felt very confident with last week's weekly wager that you would win, but you lost. I Iowa. felt confident. Yes, I felt confident because um, even if I lost, I enjoy what the what was on the line. So what will you be partaking in after losing the weekly wager? So I know that you had um, put out a poll earlier today on Twitter asking the people if uh, if I should be doing a Wawa half pint, pint, whatever it is, container of certain flavors of iced tea. Um, I regret to inform you, John, that the only options available were peach or lemon. Um, so therefore, 
We will be drinking the peach iced tea throughout Love the duration it. of today's okay. show. So as much as this is a happy hour show, we encourage you to have whatever beverage of your choice, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Uh, yes. We're going non-alcoholic today. I also did use the restroom before we went on the air. Good. So You must um, finish the entire ready. thing by the end of this episode. Yep. No okay. problem, Obrowski. Not concerned. So a cheers to you. Uh, happy Halloween. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about that. And I say, since it's a weird week. I did the Taco news, Bell challenge. Everything else is chopped liver after that. That's fair. Since it's a weird week of sports news, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it, Mia. And we start in the South, where you are, particularly with the NFC South. It is just absolutely absurd right now. What am I talking about? Of course, the Panthers and Falcons game. Mia, did you get a chance to watch this game? So I was watching the game, and it looked like this one had been determined. And so I left my friend's house where we had been watching a bunch of games and uh, thinking that the result was, you know, already set in stone. And as I was driving back home, I was listening to the fifth quarter on 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Um, and in the middle of recapping the Jaguars lost to the Broncos, our host goes, and oh my goodness, I, I, something just happened in the Carolina game. And I happened to be at a red light and I looked at my phone and my friends who I had been watching the game with were like, holy mother of F. You just missed the most insane play. The Jaguars need to trade for DJ Moore right now. Put the house up for him. Um, But then something else happened, John. Yeah. PJ Walker hit DJ Moore with a 62-yard Hail Mary with 12 seconds left to tie the game, as you said. The ball traveled nearly 70 yards through the air. But then Moore, as you see here, removed his helmet, Mia. That is a no-no. That is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Eddie Pinero, the kicker, then was pushed back for a 47-yard point after attempt. Uh, he missed it, so this game went to overtime. And then Pinero would miss a 32-yard chip shot before the Falcons would then walk it off with a field goal of their own in By overtime. By Young Ho Kim! Young Way Kim. But young Way Ku. But young Way anyway. Ku. I always say Kim. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. I just get uh, so excited when I when, – did you see the picture of them lifting him up? They did. He's it's, a great kicker. Put, put it in the Louvre, man. The, the angle they got to with the roof of Mercedes Benz. My goodness. By the way, the I changed into my Bill Belichick costume now. But it's I want to. That's like uh, I'm trying to figure out if that's actually Bill. A, you need it. We need to cut it down. You need to cut it. Get the V cut. If I had a pencil, I'd be Matt Patricia. But anyway, there you go. This is just a microcosm of the NFC South. The Falcons are your division leaders now at four and four. It is just absolute garbage. The Saints have nothing going for them. The Panthers are a colossal mess, even after trading away Christian McCaffrey. And, well, we know what's going on with Tom Brady and the Bucks, as we've discussed here on this podcast. Is this the worst division in the history of football right now? Or is that hyperbole? No. What Do is? you want to know why? Are you going to make an AFC South? Of course I am going to make an AFC South joke. Let's go through the NFC South that you just described that's pitiful. Uh, the New Orleans Saints are coming off of a shutout win over the Las Vegas Raiders, who have their get-right game in Jacksonville this upcoming weekend. Um, so that puts the Saints at three wins. The Panthers, who are tanking, who almost got to three wins, are at two, five. Your, your friends uh, in Atlanta, four, so that's nine. Brady and friends, three, that's 12. How many wins do you think the four teams in the AFC South currently have combined to win, John? Knowing the NFC South has 12. Off the top of my head, I'll say seven. Ten. 
Ten, okay. So five I, of I them, okay. five of them are by the same team, by the Tennessee That's Titans. That's fair, who, right? Mind you, had a quarterback who threw for fifty-five yards, was six of ten this weekend, and then just had Derrick Henry bulldoze other people. Well, I was just thinking about it because the NFC South is consistently so bad, consistently, and in the past couple of years, we've had this somewhat revitalization where you had the competitive saints before breeze retired. And then you had Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. You're like, okay, something might be happening here, but I was reading an SB nation piece earlier today and they gave a, a great description for each team. He said, the Falcons are the plucky losers who are doing better than everyone expected mm-hmm. and are sure to blow it down the stretch. Just as fans begin to have some hope. Also, they're going to blow like, their chances of Bryce Younger and CJ Stroud, which also sure. sucks for them. The Carolina Panthers, a completely lost organization that can't decide whether to blow up the roster or compete. So they're doing both at the same time and playing themselves out of a top draft pick. The New Orleans Saints, the cash-strapped, cap-botched organization with fans who are far too overconfident in their ability with Andy Dalton at the helm. And the Bucks are the checked-out aging franchise led by a divorcee who are in the process of a midlife crisis of their own. Yes. All yes. sounds like that registers, right? Right. And that's why you could argue that it is the worst division because of all that chaos. Um, but then I present to you the AFC South, um, which doesn't even have as many intriguing storylines. Um, because uh, you have the Jaguars, who have one of the few um, positive plus uh, point differentials in the National Football League, despite a 2-6 and six record. Um, they continue to rank in the top quadrant. If you look at the, the plot graph, of DVOA versus OVOA. Uh, the Jaguars are up there with the Chiefs and the Bills and the Eagles, but yet they're two and six. So you have them, they're they're just they're just wacky, not normal. You have the Texans who are tanking, but there's also talk of they're gonna tank, but then they may not even take a quarterback just because they have so many needs. So you got them, they're dysfunctional. Then you have the Titans, who are still trotting out an aging Ryan Tannehill, although he was hurt this weekend, and then uh, what I just alluded to happened. I like Ryan um, Tannehill. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then you have, um, then you have the Colts, um, which don't even get me started. Um, but they base they they make this trade for Matt Ryan. They bet the house on Matt Ryan because Jim Irsay, um, he of the um, Fruit Loop action figures, um, gets involved. He of course is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. He says Carson Wentz isn't good enough, so I need to go get another aging quarterback that I can just slip a you know slap a band aid on this team. Because As we're we in discussed now, last week here on Out of Bounds, so you can check out in the archives over Correct. on the News YouTube page. Correct. Um, so he just you know they slap Matt Ryan on there, and uh, then he benches him. Because he's basically admitted that they're tanking. So that is two out of four teams tanking um, with the other two teams basically admitting that they're not finished products. Compared to the NFC South, which is like at least a good soap opera, if nothing else, because you've got, you know, the the Brady factor. You've got a team that is completely being blown up in the Carolina Panthers, I think at least, because like, Mm -hmm. hello, they have like four quarterbacks who all could be starting at any given moment. Yeah. Um, That's entertaining. They fired their coach. Right. You got the Atlanta Falcons who are, I guess that's probably like the meh one. And the Saints, I mean, once Jameis comes back. They're the division leaders, keep in mind. Yeah, they are the division leaders. Um, just because they're not, they're, it's kind of, you know, because they're not making mis- like stupid mistakes. They're winning games that they can win. Um, and then and then you have the Saints, who you know, if and when Jameis comes back, at least that's somewhat entertaining, maybe. Um, and also Michael Thomas, if he's still alive. Um, so I don't know. I, I think the characters are more entertaining in the NFC South, and so that's why. Um, like, uh, yeah, also they just should have put the Titanic music to the backdrop of that game. Oh, was, absolutely. Was... And imagine if the Panthers had won. 
Imagine if Carolina wins that game. Well, we're two talking weeks about a- an all-time two weeks after finish, then. trading yeah. Christian McCaffrey, firing their coach three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and now they're in first place. With an XFL quarterback. I'm with you. I get it. It's, it. it's fun rooting for teams that have unexpected success at the quarterback position, like a team like perhaps the Seattle Seahawks. Man. Tremendous, tremendous transition. Yes, Geno Smith. Um, they wrote him off, but he ain't right back, though. He still ain't right back, baby. Uh, although apparently he might write back to Ben McAdoo, who coincidentally is the offense coordinator in Carolina. Um, but the former New York Giants head coach uh, got a shout-out from good old Geno in his press conference following Seattle's win over the New York Giants, as did former, uh, what do we call Jerry Reese, general yeah, manager? General he was, manager, he was yeah. I don't know if it was like president or exactly mm-hmm. what we want to call him, yep. um, czar. Um, but yes, he gave uh, Jerry and Ben McAdoo a thank you. He just wanted to thank them for believing in him um, because here he is, Geno Smith, the quarterback of the 5-2. and two. Seattle Seahawks. They are five and two, right? Uh, five and three. Five and three. Uh, okay. They, he he threw twenty three for thirty four, two hundred twelve yards and two touchdowns in a twenty seven to thirteen win over the New York Football Giants. And yes, trolled the Giants organization where he was a backup during the time of Ben McIndoe and Jerry Reese. If you've been paying any attention to the NFL over the past few years, you know that there's been absolute turmoil in the New York Football Giants organization because of the likes of Ben McAdoo and the outgoing regime of Jerry Reese and eventually Dave Gettleman. So a nice little dig in the ribs for all those Giants fans who really didn't care to see Geno Smith break Eli Manning's consecutive games uh, streak games played streak up when he was made starting quarterback at the behest of Ben McAdoo. But you got to love what Geno's doing right now. The guy is legitimately in the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, if not even higher than that. And this is a job that fans were like, ha ha, LOL, Geno's going to be the quarterback for the Seahawks after training Russell Wilson. Well, not only has he outplayed Russell Wilson, he's got the Seahawks in a legitimate playoff spot right now. Whereas Russell Wilson is just skating by at three and five with the Denver Broncos. Um, what, what's curious to me, John, is the fact that when they made the trade with Russell Wilson, they got a couple players back in return and Shelby Harris and the tight end Noah Fant. And then obviously they got a boatload of picks. And with those picks... A lot of folks question some of the moves that Pete Carroll made, once again, drafting a running back in the second round, even if it was the Doak Walker Award winner and Kenneth Walker. Um, but at the same time, everyone's like, they're tanking for a quarterback, right? Like, that, they got to be, I mean, Drew Locke or Geno Smith, like, they're, they're tanking, right? Uh, no, it appears they're not tanking. Um, they're actually going to win the division, potentially, um, with the only other player in my opinion, who can compete with Geno Smith in the comeback player of the year category lurking in that NFC West. And that is one Christian McCaffrey with the San Francisco 49ers, a receiving touchdown, a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown this weekend in his San Francisco debut. Um, For me, those, I I don't even think Geno is eligible to be the comeback player of the year because he didn't come back from anything. Um, But I nominate him for comeback player of the year. Um, I'm sure Christian McCaffrey, who missed some time last year, sure he's somehow going to get on the ballot but no for me it's Gino because uh, Christian McCaffrey's walking into a situation where um yes you have Jimmy Garoppolo who wasn't your day one starting quarterback but you have Brandon Ayuk you have Debo Samuel you have George Kittle you have Kyle Shanahan as the head coach uh you're a beneficiary even if you've come back from massive injuries during your time in Carolina um you have the beneficiary of working with things around you and while yes Gino Smith has Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf Mm -hmm. He's also got two rookie offensive tackles and a rookie running back. And look what he's doing. And it's really hard to win in Seattle. Seattle's not an easy place to play. No. Even as 
someone who's benefiting from that crazy home field advantage that they have. And they do. It, it is a tough place to play. But there are high expectations there, especially when you see what Pete Carroll did with that offense in years past. So having to step into that is not easy, especially under the circumstances in which, you know, did. But I do think this underscores how quickly we are to write mm-hmm. off starting quarterbacks in the NFL, yes, especially, and I'll, I'll say it, I don't care, especially black quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Black quarterbacks get ran off way quicker than anybody else. And Gino has been sitting there as a perennial backup, a very good backup, but a backup quarterback. And now he has his chance to show that he can play in a tough environment. And as you said, they're very much on their way to winning the division. And I just hope that this sets a precedent. I doubt it will, but I hope that it sets a precedent going forward that we afford some of these guys more time to show that they can play. Geno Smith came into the league in 2013 in a dysfunctional Jets organization um, that, yes, had been to the AFC Championship game twice in the past five years. But at the end of the day, it was about to be at a crossroads with Rex Ryan's exit coming. And therefore, I mean, Geno Smith had what? three offensive coordinators in three years or something like that. He wasn't the starter initially. Then he became the starter. Then he goes cross town to the Giants as a backup. So when you consider the road that this guy had to travel yeah. to still be in the league, number it's one, a great is a, story. Right, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, he actually did play last year when Russell Wilson missed two games, which included um, the game against the Jaguars last year. And, you know, obviously that Jaguars team was worse than even this one. Um, And they were coming off of their London trip and Urban Meyer didn't know how to fly to the West Coast and all that good stuff. And it was in Seattle. But even last year, I remember coming away from that game and there were plenty of folks who said, oh, well, you know, it's a bad Jags defense. I was like, no, Gino actually can manage an offense. And I think even beyond the – so the, the racial implications of it, which I totally agree with, I think it's just in general, like we were trying to list on our program earlier today, um, how many quarterbacks have you seen that maybe it didn't start out so hot, but then a couple years down the road, they put it together. Look at what you, Daniel Jones is doing. He's slowly getting better with the Giants, with the competent coaching staff. Correct. And that's, but that's the thing is like, rack your brain though. Like how many guys can you come up Peyton with? Peyton Manning. <laughs> Peyton Manning, his first True. season, his rookie but, season. Pay, but Peyton was, well, Peyton was, are you talking about at the beginning or at the, I'm at saying the, the end? very, no, the very beginning of his career, his rookie season, the Colts were horrible and he wasn't given any opportunities to show uh, that I'm capable of, becoming Peyton Manning and then a year later bam everything turns around you just got to give things time in one year later though John I understand but my point Gino is Gino Smith Gino things. Smith literally went from 2013 and I was in that locker room because I was an intern at News 12 New Jersey that summer being this like brash mouth rookie in the Jets locker room to the next summer being okay you're the guy now and then when it didn't go the way everyone was hoping it went all of a sudden it was okay well now we have to bench him and now he's not worthy of being a starting quarterback of the National Football League the only name that I could come up with and I and like some of my co-hosts disagreed um yes Kurt Warner came into the league albeit as a older rookie and immediately had success but what people forget do you know who the bridge quarterback was when the New York football giants drafted Eli Manning in 2004? It was Kurt Warner. Mm-hmm. He wandered through the, the metaphorical desert for five years before he ended up in before the actual desert the yeah. in Arizona mm-hmm. and went to a Super Bowl. No, for that's the a great time. example. Yep. So that's the only other guy I can come up with um, that literally did that. I don't think we, we see it nearly as much as we should, because I agree the constant cycling, we're seeing it right now in Jacksonville where I work. Um, you know, already writing off uh, Trevor Lawrence. But then again, that's happening across the country in the class of 2021 with those quarterbacks of Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, 
Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Sam Ellinger now, Davis Mills, and and I'm sure with this upcoming class that's coming in C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, at least one of those guys could be replaced by that guy in the coming years. And that's yeah. two years after they were drafted. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Orton had it a little bit. He had a quick little yes. run back in the day. Kyle Orton, that's a blast that's from a the past one. name. I do like that. So it was a hot second, but he did, it. He did get that. So I – can't wait to talk about this one with you because while the NFL rules the football headlines, Mia, give us a status check here first off on the T. Mm. How we how we looking here? We're good. I tried nice, it home. Nice and sugary. Yes, doing fantastic. I love iced tea. Oh yes. I don't worry. Uh, but since the NFL dominates the headlines during the fall and the winter, I'm looking ahead at the spring, and of course. You're talking I mean, about spring high school football? Because we did have a meeting about that today no, at work. I'm not talking about that. Okay. I'm talking about the XFL oh. and the XFL V3, if you will, because this is our third shot at getting the XFL right. But my boy, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is running the ship this time, and his business partner slash ex-wife, Danny Garcia, they are leading the charge with the revitalized XFL to start play next year. And today we got our reveal of our eight team names. We got the Arlington Renegades, Dallas Defenders, the Houston Roughnecks, the Orlando Guardians, the San Antonio Brahmas, the Seattle Sea Dragons, the St. Louis Battlehawks, and the Vegas Vipers. Uh, this is, uh, I meant to say DC Defenders, apologies on that. Uh, this is returning the Defenders, the Roughnecks, and the Battlehawks from the last rendition of the XFL that we saw. But I want to know, Mia, what's your favorite team name here? What's your favorite logo? Give us Mia's top picks here. The Brahmas. You're going Final with the answer. San Antonio Brahmas. Why are you going with the San Antonio Brahmas? Because I don't know what a Brahma is. Well, I will tell you if you'd really like to know. Yes, because please do. There is a backstory to this. Ooh. First, first off, I, I just want to point out. <laughs> the quick, easy way out here. They took the Tampa Bay Vipers colors, and since they're in Florida, just gave them to the Orlando Guardians while taking the Vipers name and logo and put the, them out in Vegas and just changing. Listen, the colors they're trying Florida. to save costs. Did you not see what happened to the AA, AFL or AAF? The AAF. Yeah, like what happened to them? I, was there. I loved covering the AAF. And the USF. It was a blast. Yeah, they're just USFL. They're trying to, they're trying I to be covering the AAF. Efficient. The AAF was yeah. an absolute blast. I'm a big-time Orlando Apollos guy, just so you know. But the San Antonio Brahmas, so the names were supposed to be related to something geographically. So there are a lot of Brahma bulls. A Brahma is a type of bull in San Antonio. But this is a cheeky little illusion, a wink and a nod, if you will, perhaps even a people's eyebrow, because The Rock his nickname in wrestling coming up was the Brahma Bull. What? So, The Rock, as the you head learn of, something new every day. The Rock, as the head of the XFL, when I saw this name list, I was like, "That cheeky guy, Dwayne." Dang, I didn't even know that. Wow, that's and a now, fun one. The Brahma Bull. So you are you are gunning for the San Antonio Brahmas here? Yeah, I like the San Antonio Brahmas. A close second is the Sea Wolves. 
Um, I or sea dragons, sea dragons, sea wolves is the minor league baseball well, team, and it, and it relates to the Kraken over there in Seattle. Mm-hmm. A, I like that. I appreciate client. that. The one thing that we were discussing though, like in my pre-show meeting earlier today. Um, so let's look at these eight teams: Arlington, you have the Dallas Cowboys; DC Defenders, you have the Commanders; Houston Roughnecks, you have the Texans; Vegas Viper Vipers, you have the Raiders; Seattle Sea Dragons, you have the Seahawks. So that leaves. Three of these markets that do not have an NFL franchise, five of them do. And so I'm curious, John, I mean, I know that ticket sales in the XFL, uh, it's not the end-all be-all for them, but I'm just curious how you think each of these teams will draw. I, they they had some pretty decent success with the 2020 edition of the XFL before COVID ultimately ended up shutting it down and Vince McMahon would have ended up selling it anyway. I I do think there will be some degree of draw. I saw it firsthand covering the AF with Orlando. Uh, They were playing over at the bounce house at UCF and they were maybe making it about half full, which is about. It's pretty impressive. I mean, mean, considering like, so we have an arena football team here in Jacksonville and I know they do in Orlando as well. Um, and the Jacksonville, I mean, they do a great job with the Sharks. Like, I mean, part of it is they've won the Arena Football League a couple of years over the last decade. Um, I mean, they pretty much sell out the yeah, lower bowl. A little I, bit of the I just don't bowl. know how comparable that is, though, because they, they are different products. The thing that stands out to me more, if you look at the teams there, there are no Northeast teams. And there are, are three in Texas alone, which I understand you're going to the football hotspots there. But you would think out of the gate that you would want to try to hit one of those markets in the Northeast, not even saying New York market, but even just something in the Northeast, Massachusetts, whatever it may be. No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's basically saying, in my opinion, it's saying that, well, are we actually going to draw up there where in the spring? I mean, they're they're probably I mean, would you say they're more focused on baseball, basketball? Uh, potentially but that that underscores that underscores the main point that i want to bring up spring football in general and even on a greater scale football that's not the nfl or college Mm -hmm. football is there a path to success here for the xfl for the usfl tv tv rights deals but but, but, uh, they have that they have a tv rights deal right when i say success i mean sustainability And I think it goes beyond just having a TV contract because having a TV contract that can go away like that. If fans aren't tuning in. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes and no though, because I I think that the TV dollars are just going, I mean, I, I think by nearly designing this league in the year of our Lord, 2022, you accept that gate prices may not be there. Ticket prices may not be, or ticket, you know, sales may not be there at least early on after the initial wave of like, Hey, it's like our, you know, first few games, like come on out and support. Um, And that's why having that TV rights deal and that money up front is so critical. I think. Um, And I, and we'll I mean, get you, the can rock also, too, you can also relate this too. You can also relate this too. And I mean, I had this conversation with our good friend Tony Khan a couple weeks ago. Like, if he hadn't established a deal with TNT, would AEW be what it what it is? Well, no, I don't think it would even exist, quite frankly. But I also think that you have to have the right people in charge, number one. And let's be real, nothing that Dwayne Johnson's done has failed to date. Dwayne Johnson is a money printing machine. So no, his, and, his Miami hurricane career, that may be the only failure. And he, it wasn't even a failure. He was still pretty good there. Yeah, he just, but you know, what it was a really good team. There were other, was. you saw, I mean, it's, if you're but, like the worst player on the best team, it's like, all right, you're fine. But what stands out most to me in terms of 
this is what will help a league succeed is that it has to become a feeder system to the NFL. That is it. The XFL or the USFL should almost be set up like the G League in the NBA, mm-hmm. except a much higher profile G League. Then where does that leave college football? Well, you have it as an opportunity where if guys maybe, let's say their trajectory in college football, they really want to play in the NFL, mm-hmm. but they're looking at maybe being a sixth round draft pick in two years, something like that, that kind of trajectory. You understand? You follow me here? Yeah. They decide I'm going to leave college year early and I'm going to go play a form of professional football. Oh, like and, a, almost like a, like a post-grad year. In, in a sense, you could do a yeah. post-grad too, but right. you could even leave early and play some professional football, be as in a system that is a feeder to the NFL. And all of a sudden you're setting guys up for opportunity more. I think that is the only way a league can sustain itself long-term because the NFL is just such a monopoly. Yes. And I think that there's always going to be bodies because, I mean, you've seen the commercials from the NCAA where it says, like, what is it? Only 1% of high school athletes go to play in college. Only 1% of them go pro. And so I think think it's not a question of would you have the interest. I think you would. Um, I do agree with your notion of a G League in the regards to we are seeing so many high school athletes that opt to go to the G League or go to the overtime elite. Um, or play overseas for a year or two before they then right. enter their name into the NBA draft. But also I think that you have to look at it. I, I, this is where I think with football, it actually works even more. Um, for a lot of those young guys, they have the luxury of the NBA likes to bank on ceiling and football. That's a little bit of the case, but the fact of the matter is, is if you're a 19 year old kid, you're not going to jump right to the NFL. Most, most are not. No, most going are to jump not. Right. No, unless right. you're and elite. So, Right. And that's where that's where I just think it's hard to compete with what colleges have. These universities have millions of dollars in strength and conditioning alone, let alone the football program that can then develop those bodies and then better get better serve them to get ready. So then so then you market it towards college football players that are on that bubble of might they be a draft pick? Might they be an unsigned free agent? Something like that. You market it to them because guess what? If you're right on the verge of being an NFL player you're still a pretty damn good football player, all things considered. Yeah, so, well, I mean, listen, we talked about the Carolina Panthers off the top of the show. P.J. Walker yeah, is now yeah. your starting quarterback. Sorry, Baker Mayfield. Doesn't matter you were the number one overall pick. Doesn't matter you won a Heisman no. Trophy and you're still in P. the P.J. freaking Walker, who, as I said earlier, got the most yardage through the air on a pass in NFL history as far as tracking is concerned. So, yeah, there's some merit to that. And if you want to let us know your thoughts on that, please, guys, leave us those super chats right here on YouTube or on KYNchat.com. You can send them directly to us there, and we will read them on air. But it's almost like saying that college football is a business. Isn't that right, Mia O'Brien? Yep, it is. Let's pivot (laughs) to Brian Harson. Happy thoughts, happy trails. To our good friend, Brian Harson, who was fired by Auburn University today after Arkansas smoked them 41-27. The latest in a long line of losses for War Eagle under Brian Harson's tenure. Of course, we have to go back, though, to the witch hunt, the attempted coup from over the summer in which uh, 
several boosters. Uh, I think you've heard of those Auburn boosters a time or two before if you follow college football because they ousted Gus Malzahn not too long ago, back in 2020. And now they staged a coup to try and get Brian Harson out this summer. They were unsuccessful in that bid, um, but they did indeed put the pressure on and get him fired earlier today. Uh, with both Malzahn and Harson being bought out in the past three years, Auburn has spent $74 million to pay men to not coach their football team, John. Is this the greatest gig in sports, being a fired football coach? <laughs> How is in- it not? But remember, college football is not a business. We cannot afford to pay these players because what would we do with $74 million spent across contracts and buyouts for two coaches, so- two men? Here's the thing. So we've already seen, I mean, by week five of the of the college football season, week six, excuse me, because we, we're going to include week zero when Nebraska went across the pond and uh, it lost on a last minute field goal to Northwestern, who has not won a Big Ten game since then, um, but who's counting? Um, so since the uh, five power five coaches were out by week six. So now we are seeing these universities part with their coaches before the midway point of the season, because recruiting is everything next to the almighty dollar and heaven forbid you fire a coach at the end of the year and then recruits jump. And then all of a sudden you're setting yourself back. And so that is why we are seeing these coaches fired so early. Although Brian Harson, as I alluded to, is an interesting case where we thought he could have been fired at any point in the last eight weeks. Um, it just happened to be on Halloween, Nick Saban's birthday. Uh, I do want to bring this part up of it though, John. So Brian Harson, $15 million was the buyout. Mm-hmm. So that you combine that with Gus Malzahn, that's how you get to the 74. Um, $70 million is how much Jimbo Fisher would have to be paid alone. $70 million if Texas A&M was to part ways with Jimbo, a team that was top 10 preseason in college football this year, um, has the number two recruiting class, number one recruiting class over the past two years in the recruiting rankings. Um, but they have won four games so far, and that included um, getting beat again this weekend by who else but Lane Train, Lane Kiffin, and Ole Miss. So my question for you, John, is – Are we going to see with these astronomical numbers? Because here's the fact of the matter. Jimbo Fisher says he's fine in College Station. Brian Harson was very open about he wasn't so fine on the planes because he knew people had his head on a stick. Jimbo's chilling in College Station right now. But he's also talked about, you know, maybe I'll go home to West Virginia. Maybe I'll go coach the Mountaineers. Um, His agent is Jimmy Sexton which obviously means a lot in the college football ranks. Uh, Who's to say that Jimmy and college station don't come to an agreement of, Hey, he's getting another job. So uh, let's, we'll we'll negotiate somewhere in the middle. They can negotiate something, but that's the the thing. Once these college football coaches sign these contracts, they hold all the leverage in the world and the sheer hypocrisy that we see where these coaches now are literally trying to pair with Congress to prevent players from hopping through the portal at the degree that they are and the speed that they are, saying, well, we're, we need to be more transparent about who's making what money. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. It's capitalism thrown in your face and then vomited on because these players are... I don't need to break down the semantics of this. You know what a college player has to go through every single week between the physical and the mental acumen that you have to have to balance classes with being out there on the field and playing at that high profile. What they go through in comparison to what 
a coach goes through and being a college football coach is not easy by any stretch of imagination. And I'm not suggesting that, but it's disgusting to be able to say with a straight face that while I'm making what I make, these players can't get paid anything. It is the easiest job in the world. And that sense me O'Brien. And it's insane where you have most States, their highest paid public employee is the head football coach of their state school. Can I ask you my next favorite question that we love to debate on XL primetime? Is Urban Meyer the next head coach at Auburn? I really hope not. I really I, hope so. I, I think it's – I keep saying the word disgusting. I think it would be disgusting if another high-profile college football program let Urban Meyer coach young men. I agree. But also they sold their soul to the devil long ago on the planes um, when when they just have been making deals behind the scenes and allowing three or four boosters to actually dictate what goes on at a university. Also, they hired Bruce Pearl um, and he is still gainfully employed and did lead them to a final four. Um, so I think once they cross that threshold, I, I really don't think there's anything. Holding because them it's now. all about the, the almighty dollar, dollar. So which wins <laughs> result in dollars. And so, right. well, so here's my question is like, if you're Auburn, like Brian Harson was the coach at Boise State, obviously didn't lead them to quite as much success as Chris Peterson had done. Um, but at the same time, like he was an up and coming coach. If you are an up and coming coach and you see the sheer bee's nest that it is, why would you sign up for that job? And so that's where I think only someone like Urban who has nothing to lose unless maybe Matt rule, like somebody who got run out of the pros or I, I think that rule would be a more, that's all I can come up higher. with. Right. That's all I, I mean, granted he, he went into quite the situation when he took the job at Baylor. Um, that was the ultimate reclamation project. But aside from him, like who else would willingly take that job when Brian Harson literally was talking to other coaches at SEC Media Day openly. And my boy uh, Sam Pittman even said it today in his press conference in Arkansas that the fact of the matter is, is that Brian Harson wasn't in the best situation. He probably feels a little less anxious well, now. He you're willingly taking this job when you know that your buyout is going to be $15 million. I'd take that job. I'd take a job I'm not qualified for if I know that that's what my buyout is. I would take the stress and the vitriol of social media if it meant that nope. I'd stick it out for a year or two and then I'm getting $15 million to take to the bank. You wouldn't take a job like that? No, because I have anxiety. I have anxiety too. I, I deal with chronic depression. I've been in therapy for I years. Know. I know. But, but man, if it means I got to stick it out for a couple of years and then I'm getting a $15 million payout at the end of that. Like I said, capitalism can be gross sometimes, but damn. I'm getting that. It's a good gig if you it can is, get it. It is what it is. Let's let's move on over to the NBA right now, where uh, things are not good in Brooklyn at all, and especially as far as Kyrie Irving is concerned. Uh, yeah. The Brooklyn Nets publicly condemned Kyrie for his promotion of an anti-Semitic film this past weekend. Though the star guard did not back down in a press conference, he actually sparred with a reporter and refused to take any responsibility for promoting said image. Uh, the Nets. On the court, they're flaming garbage. One in five, they're among the worst defenses in the league. Steve Nash very much on the hot seat. We talked a little bit about it last week with these super teams and taking chances. Wembenyama. Is it time to just blow it all up for the Nets and, and see what you can get from any of these assets, including Kevin Durant? Yes, undoubtedly. Because even if 
you're concerned about how many assets you would get from Kevin Durant. I mean, no offense. Do I think he's one of the best players in the NBA this season? Yes. Is he going to be one of the best players in the NBA in three seasons? I'm not so sure. Um, Coming off the injuries that he has had, knowing the wear and tear on his body because he hasn't been playing with a full-strength squad over the last year plus, it leads me to believe that, yeah, maybe the tail end of his career is here. A lot of people are admitting that about LeBron, uh, and he has not had anywhere near the injury history that Kevin Durant has had over over the past decade. And so I think it absolutely is time to blow up the Nets. I think that just throwing Band-Aids on a bullet hole by getting Ben Simmons, who, yes, it was definitely a gamble because you didn't know if he really was having these mental health issues that he described, or if, quite frankly, he just doesn't score, and you need scores around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and to compete. In well, the NBA, the, the, the Nets conference. are scoring. The score is not the problem. It's the fact that they're just their defense is it's not exist. I mean, it is you would not show that to an elementary school basketball yeah. team. The problem with this is more than anything, the Nets have given Kyrie Irving so much leeway over the years. So he many first, chances. He first said he had the mental health stuff, which they gave him an opportunity to step away from. That's fine. He then comes back with not wanting to get vaccinated. You know the rules there. The Nets say, you're not playing. And then, as they start to realize this might affect our playoff chances, they're like, actually, if you want to play on the road, you can. And then you have this where they make a strongly worded statement. But so far, as we tape this, there are no actual repercussions for this. This is not something that you can dance around, Mia. This is a very serious thing. And I think the Nets are at the point where they let Kyrie Irving essentially dictate that Kenny Atkinson was going to get fired, a coach that most of the players on that team really liked playing for. They blew up the team so they could have a super team with Harden and then eventually Simmons, Durant, and Kyrie. You're at the point of no return. You have to blow this thing up. You're not winning an NBA championship. Even out of one and five star, it's not hyperbolic to suggest that. You are not winning. The Nets, no matter how good they are, will always be the younger brother to the Knicks in New York City. It is as simple as that. Cut your losses. The The problem is you waited so long. Who's going to want to take a chance on Kyrie right now? Nobody. Someone might. Because he's a walking PR nightmare. If right. he was in any other profession besides being a professional athlete, to make the comments that he did and to keep the tweets up that he has kept up over the past week plus, let alone the past year plus, I mean, he would be fired on the spot. Walking PR nightmare. Um, and, and that's what's insane to me is I think there are a lot of other NBA franchises, let alone other professions, that this would not be allowed. And for whatever the reason the Nets are allowing it, I think they're just clinging to the glory days, John, because they know because firsthand they went through blowing it all up before in the past 10 years. They know what's ahead of them if they really do sell off all their assets. Well, if you trade Kevin Durant, you're going to get a pretty damn good package in return for him. I don't agree with what you're saying about Durant being potentially near the end. I think Kevin Durant has not shown any signs that he is slowing down in maybe three, four years from now, but Kevin Durant won't be under contract three, four years from now with the Nets. So I don't, I'm not really too concerned about that in that regard. I still think he's probably a top three player in the NBA. Right now. And, and yes. That's okay. And that's what the conversation we're talking Does about. Does he right have now. another 10 I'm years sure. left though? No, of course he doesn't so. have 10 years left. I mean, he'd be playing past 40 at that point, right. but I don't think the NBA, you're still valuable until you're around 37, 38 years old. And you still have years with Kevin Durant left in that regard. But uh, I guess we're just going to have to see how, 
much longer the Nets are complicitous because frankly, I think they are being complicit. So yeah. uh, take that for what it is. Also, and, they're in the biggest media market in America and this is still happening. They are. Uh, and New Yorkers don't take that stuff. They don't. You can't, you can't be saying these things in the New York City market. Right. And, I mean, hello, look at page six. Look at the, right. look at the post. Like, this isn't like you're hiding in some little tiny market saying these things. No, of course not. So take that for what it is on the Kyrie front. Let's get over to Philadelphia, Mia. Yeah, what's speaking going of, on over there? Speaking of uh, market size, I mean, although Houston and Philly are both top yeah. 10 markets. Oh, yeah. um, so listen, it's not New York. It's not what everyone wanted, probably, or at least the TV executives uh, that were looking for a New York, L.A. World Series. It's not what you want. But you do have the Phillies and the Astros. And you have more accusations of Astros cheating. Or is it just a bit? It's not what you want if you are a Houston fan. Um, But that is what we find ourselves in as Game 3 of the World Series is set to take place later tonight, barring a rain delay. Um, Yeah, so this billboard appears out of nowhere, seemingly, in Philadelphia, trolling Houston for stealing signs. Is the bit over, John? So. I say it's never over. I enjoy. I hold it, grudges, but let's accept this for what it is. This Astros team is really freaking good at baseball. They're really good, and there's no indications that we've seen past the accusations this past weekend with Framber Valdez and all these different conspiracy theories that came up that he was hiding something under his glove or whatever it may have been. I think what's important to note. Mia, is that Philadelphia has not had a chance to troll Houston just yet. Mm-hmm. They've not had an opportunity to do so. This is their first time hosting them at Citizens Bank Park. I'll let them get away with it. But I do think as time goes on, it's time to let this thing go. This is a new regime there. There's a lot of new players who weren't involved in 2017. And the reality is the Astros, as of this moment, have only won one World Series since all this happened and it was the year that it happened could that change this year i think it will i'm enjoying the hell out of this world series i don't know how much you've watched from it game one was incredible yeah and game two was competitive and really good the phillies are a good match for the astros so i understand you take the cheap shots but you don't want to hit too far below the belt because that's how people get pissed off and that's how you encourage a team to go on a hot run yeah but you know me i love to take those cheap shots i take them still you're full of them People have been holding grudges for like since middle school. I'm still out here taking cheap shots, so I ain't gonna never let the bit die. Personally, uh, especially as a Yankees fan, no, it's not over. It's never over. Um, even when Jose Altuve is the only one left from that 2017 2017 team in the starting lineup, it will still never be over. Um, but no, I, I do agree. I think the Astros pitching staff. Um, if you subscribe to the theory of offense sells tickets, defense wins championships, pitching wins championships. Yeah. I mean, right now they are as championship caliber as they come, the pitching staff or the Astros. The the Phillies pitching staff has held serve. Um, Aaron Nola obviously has come on in the postseason. Um, but for me with Philly, it's the bats. And I do think that there is something to be said about getting hot at the right time. I've talked about it on this program. I've talked about it on a lot of other programs. The reason the Braves won a World Series last year is because their bats got hot at the right time. They had pretty good, consistent pitching throughout the course of the 2021 season. But when the bats got hot, even without Ronald Acuna Jr., they were still able to put something together. And the, and the Phillies literally have their 
the best player in, on their team, the one they are paying the most money to, who is finally awakening after, in my opinion, um, you know, obviously being an MVP candidate at times throughout the past decade, but Bryce Harper for me has never actually established himself as the guy, like a Mike Trout or an Aaron Judge, personally, just in terms of being the undisputed best player in the game of baseball. Quite frankly, he just hasn't. Like, the talent's been there, never a question. Uh, it's kind of like the debate of the 2021 quarterback class. Um, yeah, you, you look great. You look great on, you know, at batting practice, and you're a great high school prospect. And I think he's a good player. Like, I think he's, I think he's been a top five, top ten player, but he's not Mike Trout and he's not Aaron Judge. But this postseason, he is proving me wrong, um, and he is proving that uh, – the him and the uh, the wash or the Nationals. I'm sorry, um, the Phillies that he plays for. He's going to bring a championship to Philadelphia. Boy, that is a take. I wasn't yep. expecting to veer into that direction. Yep. Nope. I I truly because and... also there are a lot of people out there, regardless of sport, who also believe that wins and championships are what make you an elite player. They, That's what they gets matter. You into the Hall I of definitely fame. I definitely agree that they matter. He left, and his team won a World Series. But that wasn't in spite of him. Yeah, but. Why didn't they win it before? I mean, we're talking about a two-time MVP here that is very much on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I and mean, I think that's yeah, but at the same time, when people ask you who's the best player in baseball he's, right now, he's actually ahead of where Mike Trout was at this age in terms of his similarities. Which score. is crazy and, considering he's played in two East Coast markets. You would think that we would be talking about him more. And his his most similar batter through age 29 in terms of his compatibility is Barry Bonds. So I'm just saying when you look at, when you look at baseball from a 30,000 foot view, who are they marketing? Who are they marketing? Mike Trout. Baseball doesn't market. That's that's also right. right. But who do you hear about? Aaron judge. Aaron judge is the one. Mike Trout is in New York. I mean, Philly and Washington aren't that far away. It's I not just, like he was playing in Milwaukee or Cincinnati. Yeah, I get it. I don't know. I just that, Yeah, I don't know about that take. But my point is here that you want to be careful where you're hidden below the belt because if you make the giant a little angry, well, then things could get ugly. And that leads is us, a god. That's right. And that leads us to our final story here. Uh, this is a good one. A little kicker, if you will. But you weren't kicking anything through the uprights. You see, it was homecoming at Hamden Sydney College this past weekend. It's a D3 school. They hosted Guilford. And there was one problem with this game, Mia. What was the problem, John? They could only use one end zone for it because this is what happened to the opposite goalpost here. That is the definition of it's not what you want. And I love the gasp in the background as they're watching the security camera footage. Hamden Sydney wins the game 28-21. So I pose to you, is this redefining home field advantage? Um, so they literally, like, you just They knocked down the other goalposts and right. won Right, so the you game. literally just went one way, and then you the other went team one, went the same way. Turn it around. How could it be home field advantage, though, if you both are going the same way the entire game? Well, maybe you know the field. You know where the wind's going to be blowing at a certain time during the game. That matters. They won by a touchdown. It's a close game. Did they mm. bury the goalposts in the ocean? Though? I don't know about that. That's all I, I really care did. about. I don't think they did. I'm going to give my input so you can chug some of that tea because we're wrapping up here. So I think that 
we have had a weird occurrence of goalposts disappearing and being dismantled in the past few weeks. And I just want to say that I'm tired of it. I think we need to show disrespect to the goalposts. We need to show a little more respect to goalposts out there. This is crazy because this just reads like something that would happen on the blacktop. Hey guys, there's there's a car over there's a car parked in that end zone over there, so we actually have to flip things around and we have to go this way. Now, don't if if Mr. Robinson has to come out and walk the dog over by there, we'll have to move, but. Just try to keep it in that little periphery. If you, I just want to know, did the guy like report it immediately? Or... No, I don't think. I don't think they knew. Mysteriously, they didn't, the goalpost was publicly down. say what happened until a few days later when the. I'm sure the university officials knew, but they didn't publicly say what happened until a few days later. Did Guilford know what happened? I would hope that they knew. <laughs> they walked right into a loss there on homecoming. Man, this is my last game. (laughs) 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 And that's why we have the weekly wager. Is it starting to get to you? No, it just went down the wrong bite. Okay. It made me laugh. Talking about the goalposts. (laughs) This is homecoming. This is our last game ever. And at home. And man... I I've loved this sport. I've played it my whole life. I'm 22 years old, and the last game of my career at home will not have two goalposts. But That's let's say Guilford had won. If if Guilford, excuse me, if Guilford had won, then we don't hear about it. Mm. We hear about the fact that they played one, with one goalpost. We hear about yeah. that. Maybe it doesn't become a problem. I want to know how, like, like I mean, how quickly? I mean, I know Tennessee. When they lost their goalposts, um, they had extras like hiding in like a supply closet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, how soon can my D threes get there? Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. The the school field looked like what you would see at your standard Middle America high it's school. Not Butterfield field. Stadium. I'll it tell is, you that much. It is not anything that would support suites, for that matter. So. I would say that investing in a goalpost, especially as a D3 school, probably is a little costly. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't plan on it. Like, no. You don't, want, you don't want to just keep one. I mean, maybe it is like a spare tire, though, these days. Like, maybe maybe you should. Like, just keep it. Like, keep the parts at least lying around somewhere. Maybe you should. If you want to send us your thoughts, guys, last chance to do so here on Out of Bounds. Super Chats on YouTube or kynchat.com. Me, O'Brien, we are... At the 53-minute mark of this show, we are finished with our rundown. Mm-hmm. How much more of this tea do we have? Because you did lose the weekly wager. Yeah, I know. I got probably like a sixth of it left right you're, now. You're close. I'm closing in. That like that the throat coughing there had yeah. to get a second to a lot of sugar there. Yeah. Also, just the fact that I'm getting my tonsils out next year, like. Mm. Still, uh, yeah. See, I yeah. got mine taken out when I was in second grade. So yeah, you lucky duck. Not all of us were that lucky. Um, yeah. And even when we were advised in college to get them out, we did not. Mm. Um, but I did realize, John, um, I do have uh, visitors in town next Monday. So we are going to have to figure out exactly right, we'll, how we want to we'll, do the show. We'll, we'll, make, we'll make something work. And exactly, therefore, how uh, we can have our weekly wager. We'll make it work. I got it. I got ideas. Okay. I got ideas. Do you have okay. a wager in mind? I do have a wager in okay. mind, although timing may uh, make it interesting. Okay. Um, 
Who is your pick to win the World Series? I have the Astros winning the World Series. Okay. Um, I have the Phillies. Okay. So the loser of the World Series is going to have to eat eggs for dinner. No. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. I physically cannot do that. I cannot stomach it. I physically can't. I'll puke. I will okay. puke on camera. Mia, I I can't. It, see, that's not a way because – You'd be like, yeah, sure. I don't care. You, you, you're on your Instagram. You're on your, you're, 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 if you want to invite our, for those who don't know, I can't do it. They're the only food in the world I refuse to touch. And I, I mean it when I say I will become nauseous at the thought of even, maybe I could order up like a pad thai and kind of, if that would count. If you would, if you'd be willing to count that, yes, I will count maybe. that. Okay, maybe I can stomach that. Yeah, or just fried rice. Or fried rice, I could stomach. So I just, I, I can't do eggs. I can't do them. They literally repulse me. I think your reaction is worth a, a clipping of this video alone. <laughs> well, Mia, before we wrap up, I hate to do this to you. You got to finish the iced tea. You All lost right, the waiter. So we're going to send you back to college and you're going to chug like we're in front of Cortica right now. Get that jug down. Oh, this is impressive. <laughs> Come on. <man. laughs> you got to breathe a little second. bit. You got to breathe. I yep. got you. This is amazing. This is why you tune into Out of Bounds. This is why you go into the college and the University of Iowa. What other? You didn't go to Iowa. <laughs> Masters and partying. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. She's like, I got no problem doing this. I just did the Taco Bell challenge. I'm good. Let's not bring that up. <laughs> I'm thoroughly enjoying this. Anything that you do for the love of the game, this is going on your reel. <laughs> it's getting harder, isn't it? No, it's just the belching. That's what I'm saying. It's because of all the sugar and all that. This is Mia versus food here. I'm loving this so much. I'm not going to be able to eat food later. That's right. Come on, you're so close. Just a few more. (laughs) I'm loving this. All right. Breathe for a second. Breathe for a second. You got one more big gulp in you. I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm it's more so your commentary. Otherwise, I'd be I'm okay right now. You. I'm very proud commentary of you. Commentary is what I'm All right, doing. ready? Three, okay. two, one. She's going to do it. Me O'Brien, pay it up. Come on. You got it. There, yeah. <laughs> Paying up the weekly wager. Mia lost last week's weekly wager. Iowa and Northwestern hit the over. She had to drink an entire half- gallon of wawa iced tea she chose the peach super sugary and now she is in pain and will be in no pain actually i'm okay you're just same thing through. as a taco bell time it's just my stomach that's it's all reflux man get ready for it it's coming <laughs> but uh this was fun mia it was a lot of fun and we will definitely have to see how things go for next week's weekly wager we'll we'll get some content then i'm confident in that but uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in to Know Your News and Out of Bounds. We'll see you next week. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. 
If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now 